Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Okay. I believe we've been having some church already. Let's keep going. If you got your Bible, thank you, Dart and worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. You're still as ugly as I remember you. That's cool. If you got your Bibles, flip over to Acts chapter 8. We are about knee-deep in our conversation called the Gospel and Politics. If you're brand new to Grace Bible, welcome. Um, I'll tell you what, um, Dart said something up here as he was leading worship that made me think about, like, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of why we're having this conversation about the gospel and politics is so that we, as the people of God, might stand on the firm foundation of the word of God, not on our worldview or on our ideologies or the little barricades that we've entrenched ourselves into politically, but that we might, like, constantly come back away from our idols into the presence of God and pull up a seat to the table and be reminded what really matters, who really is king, who we really are as a result of who he is. You're not a Republican, you're a kingdom citizen. You're not a Democrat, you're a kingdom citizen. Like our identity is rooted in something so much greater and so much deeper because our king sits so much higher and we belong to a land that's so much more wonderful and greater than the U.S. of A. And the Church of America needs to be reminded. And so we dive into some of the hard topics of discussion as we wrestle through what the gospel has to say to inform some of the most politically charged issues of our right now existence in human life. Politics are important. Politics play a very important and central theme in the lives of every human being. But as a kingdom person, we need to be called out of that and be reminded that we have to fly above that and see that from a different view. That our worldview would be shaped by the word of God. Truly that we would see the world through the lens of the word of God instead of seeing the lens of the word of God through the world. There's a lot of pastors around the country and even around the globe that right now are having to grapple with the tough issues of politics because that is a really pressing matter in the world that we're living in. And we really have four options. Option number one is offend nobody. Option number two is offend the right. Option number three is offend the left. And option number four, give me door number four, Bob, offend everybody. That's what I'm going to do. Everybody. Because I don't know if you recognize this or not. You may have grew up in church your whole life. You may have walked with God for a long time. But believe it or not, you are prone to wonder. Without realizing it, all of us worship idols that are not the king of kings. And believe it or not, God and his holiness is not in perfect, disagree- uh, in perfect agreement with you. Believe it or not, he doesn't see the... Th- everything the same way that you see it. As a matter of fact, he's calling us in this conversation to start looking through the lens of what he sees and how he sees the world and how he sees some of these really tough politically charged matters that we are walking through as a people. So these last couple of weeks, we've taken kind of a bird's eye view of kingdom politics, 
Uh, Dr. Randy Smith and Pastor Cameron did a brilliant job of just helping us fly over and have a kingdom view of how the gospel and the story of God are the overarching theme of our lives and that we are a kingdom people and politics has to fit into that story. It cannot become the story of God in our lives. And for many of us, it is. Look, maybe I should start here. I, I want you to know that I know that most of you will be judging how well these discussions go over the next three weeks based on whether I say what you already believe. You want me to say that again a little slower for you? I know that most people online and in person will be judging how well these conversations about the gospel and politics go over these next several weeks based on whether or not I say what you already believe. I hope that you will come to the table with more humility than that. I hope that you will renounce the false God of yourself, that you will dive back into the word of God, that you will be willing to be changed and transformed, that you will be willing to be confronted by the word of God and it shape your worldview and the way you see these things that are going on around you right now, but, but let me just be honest with you. Like, I have considered all these things, and there is a cost that has to be paid by leaders to be a leader in the 21st century, particularly leaders in the church, and I recognize that addressing some of the hardest topics in our culture is going to be expensive. I know that I will gain influence with some, and I will lose influence with others. I know that I will gain friendships and I will lose friendships. I know that we will gain church members and we will lose church members. And I brought that before God and here's what I wanted to tell you about that. I'm okay with it. I'm totally comfortable with that. Because I've been reading through the scriptures and I realized like at the end of my life, I'm not standing before either one of you. I'm gonna stand before a mighty God. And as an elder of his church, give account for those things that I did and did not say, for those things that I did and did not do. And so I'm trusting God to be the faithful guide for this conversation. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit of God to humble all of us because look, let me just be clear. Before you send the emails, before you send the text messages, like I don't tremble before you one bit this morning. I tremble before the Lord Almighty, but I am humble before you. Because I recognize that like in my own selfishness, like I create idols by my own hands and I believe that God sees the world that I see the world. And so you're coming into a three week conversation. I've been in a six weeks conversation with God and he's been having to confront me about my idols and my life. So you're gonna get to hear the byproduct of that and I hope that it transforms you. As always, this is something you have to take before God. You have the, you have the freedom to disagree with me on whatever you want, doesn't matter to me. This is your life, this is between you and God. You decide whether or not, in looking at his word, you agree with him or not on these particular issues. And so this week, guess what? We're going to talk about the gospel and the pandemic. All right. <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk about the gospel and race. Woo! And the week after that, November 1st, two days before the election, we're going to talk about the gospel and the election. Woo! <laughs> Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. I've been asked a lot of questions um, throughout this remarkably polarizing, political, challenging time in our culture. Um, and and, and ju just so you know, um, let me go ahead and let myself off the hook four years from now. 
Um, this isn't something we do every time it's election season that we get all political as a church. That's not what we do. Um, God, God really made it clear to our, the leadership of our church that because we kind of like had the trifecta of chaos hit us across the chin, and God bless the people in the northern Gulf who have hurricanes to stack on top of uh, the pandemic and racial issues and election issues or whatever, like these, those three main categories that we've been faced with, like God has been saying, we need to address these things because we need to shape the people of God to have a kingdom view of these type things. So I get a lot of questions in time like this. I think people trying to get a kingdom view or trying to find their bearings, not that they really care what I think, they just want to know what I think. They're just curious to see if I agree with them or not. So some of the more politically charged people in the conversation ask me like inflammatory questions like, uh, what do you mean you're asking people to wear masks at church? Like, what are you, a communist or something? Uh, and then I got other, on the other side, they're like, what do you mean you're not requiring everybody to wear masks at church? What, are you trying to murder people or something? So like my options as a pastor is being a murderer or a communist. Like, that's all you've left me with, okay? I get it. We've had people threaten to leave the church because we put tape over the water fountain machines. I got, an e I got two emails one week. I got an email from one lady saying, I've got friends that are leaving the church because you're opening the church too fast. And then I got an email from another lady within a seven-day period the exact same week that said, I've got friends that are leaving the church because you're opening the church too slow. I'm like, what are we supposed to do, people? Like, this is why we don't take congregational votes because y'all don't agree on anything. This is why we bring stuff before the elders who bring it before the Lord, and that's how we make our decisions around here, okay? Oh. Y'all are wonderful people, but y'all can get crazy, okay? I'm going to be honest with you. Just check my text records and my emails. And then I get more spiritual questions, and these are great questions too. Like, I get where these are coming from. They're all being shaped by our worldview. I get people asking, like, is what's happening signs of the end of times? Like, is this, is this the writing on the wall? I mean, is Jesus coming back any time? To which I would say, man, I hope so. Um, and those are great questions. I know that those are coming from a spiritual place in your heart, coming from a place of, like, you want to know, like, what God is up to. And quite honestly, like, those questions really reveal to us just how, how out of tune we are with the rest of the world. Like, <laughs> there are whole people groups that battle with plagues all the time. Um, famine and war and all the stuff that like we, t we taste every now and then. There are, there are people groups all over the world that have been living in that for centuries, you know what I'm saying? And so like for us as Americans, like we have a really low pain tolerance around here. Um, we, 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 we want our rights, but we don't care about our responsibilities. Like we, we, we are owed something by the world and when things start going wrong, we start looking to the skies like, oh my God, is Jesus about to come back? Maybe, and I hope so because things are getting crazy around here, but they've always been crazy, just in case you didn't know that. The world is a wreck. Everybody's turning to idols for their hope. They think money will fix it, politics will fix it, politicians will fix it. They think a new job will fix it, or a new relationship will fix it, when in reality, like the good news of Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world, the only hope of the world. Let me say that again for the people in the back. The only hope. Everything else is gonna fall short, I'm telling you, and if you haven't noticed, it always has. Guess what? This election this year is the most important election of our lives. Well, so it was four years ago and four years before that. You know why? Because these lesser gods will never fail to fail us. And we're going to need something else and something better. But the gospel, the good news hope of Jesus is our only hope. That's why we as a church, the capital C Church globally, needs to take a kingdom view of all of these things. So let's talk about the gospel and the pandemic. Now, I've been asked some great questions, but 
probably not the right questions. Let, 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 me, let me present to you what I believe the right questions are in a time like this. We only have so much control over the spread of the virus. Do what you can, be responsible, okay? Play your part in preventing the spread, but we don't have complete control over that, nor do we have control over what the political talking heads are trying to convince us to believe on both sides of the aisle. Nor do we have control as a church, the church, capital C Church, over what medicine is gonna do to help reconcile this issue for us. So like all of those questions that we spend all of our time debating about are something we don't have much control over, but what we do, what we do have control over is how we as the global church of Jesus Christ respond to what is happening around us. And I can tell you, as your friend, we have not done a good job. It's been embarrassing, to say the least. And I have to ask myself, like, has there ever been in the history of the church a generation of the church that responded to peril, to catastrophe, to plague, to famine, to war, to be in, in a place where it was illegal to meet together or even unsafe to meet together, has there ever been in the history of the church a generation that did it right? Well, surprise, surprise, there has. And it's not the 21st century American church. It was actually the first church ever. The first century church that we can find in the scriptures. That's why I told you to turn to Acts chapter 8. I'm going I'm to take the long way around to get there. I'm going to kind of take you on a journey through the book of Acts in order to understand what it is that God would call his people to do in a time like this. How do you have a kingdom view? What, how are we supposed to respond during a time like this? Well, let's have a look at how they did because I can tell you whatever it was that they did changed the world. And what we're doing is just creating more division and making us look a whole lot more like the world. Um, maybe we should start back at the beginning before the church was even born, when Jesus looked at his apostles in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and he told Peter, hey, you're the rock that I'm gonna build the church on. And then he told his apostles in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I am going to, who's gonna build the church? I am going to build my church. Who's gonna build the church? Best Sunday school answer you got. Jesus is gonna build the church. He said, I'm gonna build my church. And peril and war and persecution, and famine, and disease, and even hell itself won't stand against it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And then he goes on to tell, let's just say, let's just say if Jesus is our boss, if, he, if he's the master designer of the church and what its purpose is, this is what he said the purpose of the church. This is his master plan. I'm gonna build the church. I'm gonna build an ecclesia, a movement, it's an assembly of people that's so powerful that even the gates of hell can't stand against it. That's the master plan. And so like any good CEO, Jesus starts rolling out his mission and his vision. We find his mission as he is standing there on the mountain in front of hundreds of apostles, uh, disciples and his apostles as he is preparing to ascend into heaven after his resurrection. And he gives us the mission statement of the capital C church. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 says, go therefore. We're gonna go there. By the way, your mission statement as a business is what you do. Our mission statement is what we do. And he says, this is what we do. We're gonna go and make disciples of how many nations? All of them. We're gonna baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're gonna teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you, praise God, even to the end 
of the age. That's the mission statement of the church of Jesus Christ. That is what we do. We go and make disciples of all nations. We baptize them. We teach them. And we trust that Jesus is going to be with us. And then he gives us the vision statement as we flip to the right even more. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. If you're a business person, your vision statement, uh, your mission is what you do. Your vision is who you aspire to be. All right? The vision statement of the church, who we aspire to be. This is what he tells. This is what Jesus says. Acts 1.8. You will receive the power when my ho- the power to accomplish the mission. You will receive the power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my who? My witnesses. That's Jesus' vision that we would be his witnesses, that we would bear witness to what we have seen and heard and know to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Catching the picture. This is Jesus laying the foundation for his church. Acts chapter 2, they received the power of the Holy Spirit. People are getting saved by the thousands. 3,000 people got saved the day that the apostles received the Holy Spirit and began to proclaim in a variety of languages the glory of God and the good news of Jesus. Thousands of people got saved. Those people started acting like a church. They started loving each other and serving each other, and they started coming to hear the apostles teach. Some of them got appointed to be deacons, and they were helping serve soup to those that were hungry, particularly the widows. In the community, it's a beautiful picture of what this church is supposed to look like. No one had any needs in the group because everybody was helping each other out. People were getting saved. People were getting healed. People were getting changed. People were getting encouraged. It's nice when we're together, isn't it? Something about when the people of God come together, things start changing and lives start changing because it's an infused with the Holy Spirit kind of thing. And we come together and it shakes our communities and it shakes our world and we are a people that dwell together in unity like that. And this is what happened as a result of the church being the church in the first century right off the get-go. Chapter 6, verse 7 says, guess what? The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests even became obedient to the faith. Two things you need to notice about this as the church is just barreling forward like a train right here. Um, Even priests, like people were jumping religious ships. We're talking about trained, lifelong Jewish priests that had grown up their entire lives planning to be a priest. They had become a priest. They were serving as priests. But not only were they hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ be lived out amongst the people. And even they jumped ship, renounced Judaism, became Christians. You want to talk about power? And I also want you to notice the second thing. The church was multiplying, the disciples were multiplying greatly through regular old Joes, through priests. But they were multiplying greatly in where? In Jerusalem. Remember the vision that Jesus gave his church? Hey, we're going to be a people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, equipped by the Word of God to go and make disciples in all of the world, and we're going to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and we're going to go out to the entire earth. And the church is exploding, but it hasn't left Jerusalem. We love to be together, don't we? We love seeing our church grow, don't we? It's awesome seeing, like, new faces and new families come in. It's cool to add services when we have to. Like, it's just neat to see, like, growth. It's neat to see that parking lot get packed full of people, and it's powerful to be together. People get healed, encouraged, changed, saved. Like, it's just something about being together and the people of God. But remember the mission. 
Jesus said, hey, we, we, you're going to bear witness to the whole world. Don't get stuck in your holy huddle. It's good to be together, but somebody's got to go and make disciples outside of him. Somebody. What do you think it's going to take for Jesus to ignite a movement amongst his people, a real ecclesia, a movement of the gospel? What do you think it's going to take for him to ignite that? When the church is exploding, when people are having a great time, all their needs are being met, the apostles' preaching is off the charts, even priests of other religions are getting saved. Like, it's getting awfully comfortable just being together, man, and we like that. We like it. We're winning. Hey, we're doing the thing. But Jesus said, no, 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 my vision for my church is bigger than that. So what do you think it's going to take for Jesus to get that kind of power, to get that kind of assembly, that kind of excitement, that kind of life change? What do you think it's going to take to get all of those people out of their comfort zone? What do you think it's going to take to get them to turn, turn away from looking at each other and start looking out to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? What do you think it's going to take? Well, I'll, I'll show you what it took. If we keep reading the book of Acts, just you continue to read the rest of chapter 6, rest of chapter 7 by yourself for homework this afternoon. Here's what it took. You know, one of the deacons that the apostles had appointed to come and serve, his job was just to wait tables and serve soup to hungry widows. He didn't just stop at just serving. He didn't just stop at deaconing and serving. Like, this guy, he began to just preach the word to people as he was serving soup. He became very gospel fluent. And through that, the power of the Holy Spirit worked through him to change people's lives, to heal people's diseases. Like, God was doing a radical work through a deacon right here in chapter 6 and 7. And it was so radical, in fact, that the religious leaders of the day that were non-Christian, they decided, you know what, we got to wipe this guy out of the face of the mat. He's way too influential in what he's doing, and people are starting to follow this guy and his religion and his face, so we got to kill this dude. So they put him on trial in front of the high priest, and they made a mistake not really realizing how much of a compelling speaker he was to let him contend for his position. So he preached the gospel. And so the high priests and the religious leaders of the day, they didn't take him before Pilate. They drug him outside the city gates and they stoned him themselves. That's chapter 7. Matter of fact, chapter 8, verse 1 says, And Saul, who later became Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, that's a whole other sermon in itself, by the way, Saul approved of this execution. What was the guy's name that got executed? Any of you remember? Stephen, yeah, the first martyr, at least the first official martyr of the Christian faith. Saul approved of his execution, and they arose on that day. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all, say all. They were all, say all. They were all scattered. Every one of the disciples of Jesus Christ in the first century, we're all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Does that sound familiar, those places? Whose idea was it that they go there? They all got scattered because of this persecution to Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So 12 guys hang back in Jerusalem. Thousands of Christians are running for their lives. Things had gotten so out of hand. You want to talk about injustice? Remember Jesus, he had an issue with the high priest, Caiaphas. 
He had an issue with the religious leaders of the day, but they knew that they had to at least bring him before the governing authorities like Pilate and Herod, and then it went back to Pilate, and then Pilate said, I wash my hands of it. I give you back over to the religious group, and they can kill you if they want to. You remember that whole story of Jesus' life? Well, at this point, because they had been kind of given the free pass to kill Jesus, they thought, well, let's see how far this rabbit hole runs. Let's just kill Stephen without even asking Pilate. And they did, and guess what Pilate said? Nothing. So they're overwhelmed with confidence now. And they start dragging Christians out of their homes, into the streets, throwing them into prison. Christians losing their lives in never before seen numbers. So the apostles stick around in Jerusalem, but all the rest of the new disciples, people like you and me, followers of the way, before it became Christianity, it was called the way, followers of the way, man, they scattered throughout the known world. And then the Bible goes on to say, and the church, they gave it a good effort, and then it eventually just petered out. They couldn't meet together in their church buildings anymore. They hadn't even had their first potluck yet, and they've already been scattered. How can it survive without the apostles preaching in front of the thousands of people? Like, what are we going to do? Bible goes on to say that the church decided to stand firm on their rights in Rome and say, no, we're citizens of Rome. We have rights. We're going to practice civil disobedience to get our way. Now, the Bible goes on to say that they sat in their little holy huddles and griped about all the government conspiracy theories that caused this issue that they were experiencing with. And as a matter of fact, none of that happened. Chapter 8, verse 4 says that those who were scattered, which by the way, you just said the word back in verse 1, all, those who were scattered, all, all the thousands of people who had come to know Jesus, who were running for their lives, those who were scattered, they went about preaching the word. And the rest of the book of Acts is history. It's the most radical movement in the history of the Christian church and the history of the world. Oh. They didn't have time to bicker and complain and fight. They didn't have time to argue about how they could have avoided it or what their government owes to them. They didn't have time for that because the world needed to know the gospel. And so they took off running with it everywhere that they went. You know, I have to ask myself, was this global pandemic the hand of God suffering? Or was it the hand of God scattering again? Because the church of Jesus Christ all over the world, particularly in the U.S. of A., it got way too comfortable sitting in the holy huddle of Jerusalem because things are just going too good. And if I don't like the way things are going, I'll just go find another holy huddle. What if, what if the hand of God reached down out of heaven and ignited his church and scattered his church all over the globe again because we couldn't meet together safely or even in some cases legally? What if? 
Let me ask you a question. Do you think when Jesus told his apostles, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, do you, do you believe that what Jesus was picturing in his mind when he said that was a bunch of buildings on every street corner competing for market share, bickering and backbiting against each other, and racing to the buffet line every Sunday afternoon? Is that what Jesus died on the cross for? Let me hear you. Is it? yet we are so hung up on ourselves and our bad ecclesiology that even when God answered generations of our prayers in a moment you hear me generations of our prayers God answered in a moment by spreading a pandemic globally to scatter us out of our holy huddles generations of our prayers how long have we prayed oh God Oh, God, please bring revival to our communities. Oh, God, please bring our families closer together. Oh, God, strip us of our idols. How long have we prayed those prayers? And in a moment, the God of heaven reached out of the sky, and he stopped the world, and he scattered his church globally, and he stripped us of our idols. And he stuck us back in our neighborhoods, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Equipped with the word of God and the good news of the gospel. And what do we do? We argued over this. Six feet of dirt couldn't stop the first century church. But six inches of cloth is all it took for the 21st century American church to open up their hearts to the talons of our adversary. We are too busy arguing, too busy being political, too busy debating, too busy being angry, too busy fighting over conspiracy theories. Too busy pointing fingers at the government. Too busy pointing fingers at one another that we forgot that while we were going, as we are scattered to make disciples, what if this was all part of Jesus' master strategy, that his church would move forward and the gates of hell would not stand against it, but the one thing standing against the mission of Jesus was the actual church of Jesus, particularly the one in America. What if? And what's worse, our spiritual fathers in our country here, ones that have provided sound biblical doctrine and wisdom for decades, for decades, were told that they couldn't meet legally in their buildings. And you know what they did? Well, we're going to protest. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Um, there were global leaders of the church that we're told, you know what, you can't meet in your buildings anymore, you have to meet outside, in open spaces, in the public square, in the city streets. And you know what some of our spiritual fathers in our country said? No way, we've got rights. We're gonna practice peaceful protest this morning. We're gonna practice civil disobedience today. 
not realizing they were disobeying the mission of Jesus Christ. You know what would happen if the Chinese government said to the underground Christian church, hey, we don't want you meeting indoors. Meet outside, in the public square. Meet in the city streets. You know what the, you know what the Chinese church would do? Man, they would flood those streets with the praise of God. They would declare the word of God everywhere they went. The revival that's happening in China would ignite at a level that it never has before. But tell that to the American church and we say, no, we've got rights. We don't care about the mission of the gospel. We like our holy huddles. Our spiritual father said that. They have lost their way and so have we. We were invited to go and make disciples. The hand of God forced it. We were too busy arguing that we missed it. So what do we do now? What do we do now? Well, I can tell you, my friends, um, I think the word of God this morning would call us back to our identity in Christ. As the American church sits and applauds our civil disobedience, says, oh, we need more pastors like that. Take a stand. Oh, jail time is involved. Oh, what a martyr of the faith. Listen, the last thing we need in this country is more churches and more pastors that are missing the mission and the vision that Jesus laid out crystal clearly for us. And we as a people, even if it starts with us, even if this morning is the beginning of a, an igniting of a national revival that takes place, and it starts with this couple hundred people right here, we have to start on the firm foundation of who our identity is in Christ Jesus as kingdom missionaries, children of God. Like Jesus told us, I'm going to build my church. You don't have to bear that burden. I'm, I'm the one that's going to pull this off. Peril, nor famine, nor war, nor plague, nothing can stop it. Not even the gates of hell can stop what I'm going to do, Jesus says, but I'm going to send you to go. You're going to be my witnesses, kingdom missionaries, empowered by the Holy Spirit, equipped with the word of God, and I'm going to stick you in every corridor of the world so that the world might know that I am God and I am the only hope of the world. That's what we're going to do, church family. We're going we're to walk once again in that kingdom calling. And I hope that many of you already have been. But for those of you that have not, I hope that you'll come back today. The mission of the gospel is going forward and it's going to change the world. And I don't want you to live your life and miss it because you thought arguing over a lesser God was more important. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. That his mission and his calling on your life is not a mistake. He has you right where he wants you. 
He has given you everything you need to know, and he has given you the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead to carry it out. You are not alone. He will be with you always until the very end of the age. Not sure what to say to that neighbor. He is with you. You're empowered by his Holy Spirit. Not sure how to handle the situation. He is with you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Kingdom people, forsake your idols and come back to God. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our Lord. You're the governor of our hearts. And we, I, I, I struggle being this side of heaven because the enemy keeps just, I feel like he, I feel like he wins too often with me. I believe the lies, I get involved in the nonsense Lord, in those moments, would your Holy Spirit that I know dwells richly within me, because you promised that it did, Lord, would you, would you just prompt my heart to get over myself? Would you prompt my heart to turn my eyes upon Jesus so that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim yet again? Lord, would you do that as often as it takes for me to live my life in a kingdom identity with a kingdom mission in mind so that the world would know? Anybody that you place in my little circle of influence would know that you are God and you are worthy and you are theirs if they would surrender themselves to you and that you can give hope. Lord, we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.